0: Before we get into the show today, I just wanted to apologize for not uploading a podcast in a couple of weeks. I wanted to say sorry because I've been really, really busy finishing school and I actually graduated just during this time off. Just know there is still more content to come and I'm definitely not done with the podcast. So with that said, here's the episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another podcast. Okay, today, let's just get right into it. I'm here with one of my great friends, a a mentor in the faith. He is, he's is he been in ministry for many years. How, how long have you been in ministry? 23 years. 23 years. You hear that. He's an apologist. He's gone all over the world, and his strong suit, is out on creation, the beginning of the world, the beginning of time and Genesis. His name is Eric Hovind. Say hi.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks for letting me be on here, Ethan. I appreciate it, bud.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for being on here. I'm so excited today. So I just thought we'd we'd get right into this. There are so many people I, I hear all the time, people who say, why is it necessary for me to study creation, why would someone devote so much time studying creation when it's not essential to salvation? What would you say to the person who brings up that argument?
1: Wow. Well, you're jumping right into the foundation of apologetics. Um, I guess, first of all, Ethan, I want you to know that it really is a privilege to be sitting down here talking with you. Uh, I love the fact that you've started this podcast. Um as i spend more and more time with you and i listen to your other podcast and i listen to what you want to communicate uh, my heart rejoices for the future of christianity with young men like you that are wanting to proclaim the name of jesus christ and i think that is uh the future of christian ministry is bright if we can get more people that are consumed with god and have a mind for christ uh to your question i hear people all the time say Hey, let's not focus on Genesis, you know. Let's just teach what Jesus taught. That's what's most important, you know. Let's just just give the gospel and teach about Jesus. And honestly, Ethan, to that I say, yeah, that sounds really good. Um I love the idea of teaching what Jesus taught. Here's here's the kicker. If we teach what Jesus taught, we're gonna focus on Genesis because Jesus actually taught About Genesis, he taught that to his disciples. He used that with the Pharisees. Um, I don't know if you have any unbelievers listening to your podcast right now, but you know, for them, this may not sound like a big deal. If you're out there and you're a Christian, this is a this is kind of a huge deal because um, what Jesus taught um, is of both interest and importance to what we want to believe because we're trying to be Christian little. Christ. We're trying to be people that follow what Christ taught. So obviously, whatever he says about Genesis, that should matter to all Christians. And whatever he taught should be our ultimate factor in determining our own belief on this subject. So I think it's a great idea to focus on what Jesus taught. And, um, you know, when we say, hey, Genesis isn't essential to salvation, Uh, I go, well, let's look at Jesus' teachings and find out if that's true. See, if you've ever studied much of Jesus' life, then you know that all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, when he's teaching or answering questions, he ends up standing on the authority of, and he says this over and over and over, the Scriptures, this would be the Old Testament when Jesus was here. Uh, they didn't call it, obviously, the Old Testament back then because uh, they didn't have the New Testament, but they just called it the Scriptures. And Jesus treats the Scriptures as historical accounts, as though they really happened. Uh, his, it's, it's actually his standard for making decisions. Uh, Eleven different times Jesus said, Have you not read? And he's referring people back to the scriptures. 30 times he defended his teaching by saying, It is written. Again, he's referring to the written scriptures. And the people of his day were obviously, the Jews were very, very familiar uh, with these scriptures. Uh, in his teaching, he speaks of Adam and Eve as the first married couple. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, in Mark chapter 10, Verses 3 through 9. Uh, he claimed that Abel was the first prophet who was martyred. That's Luke chapter 11, verses 50 and 51. Uh, Jesus referred to Noah and the flood in Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. And then he references the account of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Again, that's in Genesis. That's where we get that account. Uh, he spoke of manna from heaven. Again, that's from Genesis. Uh, the experiences of Lot and his wife, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, the miracles of Elijah, Jonah and the big fish. I mean, every single one of these references are from the Old Testament. So these accounts are not given as, you know, uh, parables or allegories. Uh, he took them and he retold them as history. So when we look at Jesus's own words, um, John chapter 5, verse 45 uh, says, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, so here you have Jesus, like all the apostles and the prophets. He's saying what Moses wrote is true. And if you don't believe his truth about the beginning, how are you going to believe my truth about the end. So Jesus clearly viewed the Bible's history as foundational to its theology and its morality. Now, I guess this this is just kind of the setup because it doesn't quite answer your question yet of is Genesis essential to salvation? So um, I'd say let me look at, uh, I mean, there's, we could look at lots of passages and study this for a long time, but let me pull out a couple here real quick. In Mark 10, verse six, Jesus is answering a Pharisee who is who's actually trying to trick him with a question, and his question has to do with divorce. But when you look at Jesus's response, you really start to understand why Jesus viewed Genesis as essential. He responds by taking the Pharisee all the way back to the foundation of his question. And he says, from the beginning of the creation." God made them male and female. Now, there is no question, Ethan, what Jesus is referring to is Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1 being the overview of creation, Genesis 2 being a a drill down on day 6 of creation. Not two different creation accounts. And if you look at it, Jesus is saying Adam and Eve were from the beginning of creation. That phrase "beginning of creation" it's not merely speaking of the beginning of humanity; it's speaking about the foundation of the heavens and the earth. Hmm. So, Jesus is saying that that idea is where the idea of marriage comes from, and he obviously thought that it was essential. Hmm. And then, of course, Christianity is marriage is an entire representation of all of Christianity. Um, I, I'll throw one more out there. Uh, I know for sake of time, I mean, we could we again we could yeah, keep, keep on going. going. Uh, In Luke chapter 11, verses 49 to 51, Jesus is giving the religious leaders an absolute earful. I mean, he is going off. And it's that passage where he says, woe unto you, you scribes and Pharisees and you hypocrites. And he says this over and over and over. And then he says this, therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them the prophets and the apostles and some of them. They shall slay and persecute. He says that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from, get this, the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. And then he goes into detail. He says, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Now, notice what Jesus did right there. He is correlating the foundation of the world with the blood of Abel. So if you remember, God supernaturally created Adam and Eve, told them to fill the earth. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Abel was the first martyr for righteousness. Now, when you look at Jesus' words, he used the phrase, foundation of the world. And that was in reference to the martyr of Abel, the martyrdom of Abel when he was killed. And that phrase is not, again, just referring to the foundation of humanity. That's not just the foundation of Adam, not the foundation of some new age. That's the foundation of the cosmos. So Jesus taught that Adam's son Abel was the first martyr and he was alive. He lived and was martyred during the foundation of the world, so it's clear from Jesus' teaching, and this is just two passages. Again, we could go into a bunch of them. It's clear from Jesus' teaching that uh, he he taught that man had existed from the foundation of the world, um, give or take, you know, six days. <laughs> uh, so it's it's clear that he really did believe that, and he really did teach that. You know, it, if if there was one more thing I'd throw out there, it'd be this. Um, the synoptic Gospels record the exact same phrase in a few places where the disciples uh, are recording what Jesus says or what God said. And it's like, boy, it's exactly the same. It's not always like that, but in some it's the same. And and it is the same. It's very interesting to read their their accounts of the Mount of Transfiguration because each one records precisely the exact same statement by God. It's in Luke chapter 9, verse 35, Mark chapter 9, verse 7, and Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. And their quotation of God's command is written verbatim. Um, they're, they're, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. They're standing there, and God says about Jesus, he says this He says, listen to him. It says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to Him, And I think you and I ought to take that same exact advice. We should listen to what Jesus taught. So for Jesus, Genesis was the real foundation, the real starting point that he used to teach people about marriage, about sin, about death, and about the very need for salvation. That's where this idea comes from. That's why Christ died the death of the cross, to save us from sin and death. It's the reason that he came to earth as a man. The reason why he had to live the perfect life. And the reason why he had to die to be the perfect sacrifice as the payment for man's sin. So even science, uh, science is never going to prove that Jesus walked on water. Science is never going to prove that Jesus turned water into wine. Never going to be able to replicate how Jesus physically came back to life and rose from the dead. But as Christians... We trust that these accounts are true because of the authority of Scripture and the authority of Jesus. And so I guess kind of to wrap up my thoughts on it, um, if Genesis was the foundation for Jesus, it should be the foundation for anyone who claims to follow Jesus as well. Jesus really can be trusted even with Genesis.
0: Wow, that, that is a powerful way to look at Genesis through the lens of how Jesus thought of Genesis and how Jesus taught Genesis. I, I think that that's so interesting that Jesus really did talk about Genesis and he really did um, answer people's questions by bringing them to Genesis. Um, and we're told to be little Christ like Jesus is Christ. We're told to be little Christs as Christians and to follow his example. And if we truly want to do that, we would follow his example in teaching Genesis and studying out Genesis. Um, so, what would you say to someone? who says, but it's not essential to salvation.
1: Yeah, I guess that gets back to the question that I should have given a little bit more of a clear answer to. Uh, what do you say to the person who says, yeah, but Genesis isn't essential to salvation? Um, and yeah, this is really relevant today. Uh, I, I guess my answer would be this. You're right. You can be saved without understanding Genesis. You can be saved without without understanding the age of the earth or the fact that Jesus really believed the 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 literal interpretation of Genesis uh, in other words he, he believed what Moses was actually communicating there and it's really clear um, i guess i would i would put it this way you're right genesis isn't essential to salvation but the more we look at this the more we realize genesis is essential to the doctrine of salvation, in other words, the very need for salvation that comes from genesis, sin, death uh created perfect, everything went wrong that is essential to the doctrine of salvation uh you're very familiar and you've you've talked about this the the fact that many people are trying to make uh salvation cheap and it's not cheap you know we underestimate uh undervalue our sin and the penalty for it uh so so, what we have to take people back to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come, in order to understand salvation, and that idea is found in Genesis. So, while Genesis isn't essential to salvation for somebody to get saved, it is essential to the doctrine, the reasoning, the the need for salvation. So, uh, that's. The way I'd put that, and the more you study it, and the, once you become saved, if you're going to study the life of Christ, you'll kind of come to these same conclusions.
0: I've heard Ken Ham say once that if you get the beginning wrong, how do you know that you're getting the end right? If, you can, if you're doubting the beginning of the book, how do you know later in the book, in the same book, that it's going to be right?
1: You know, well, you're exactly right. You know, the people that are trying to add the millions of years to the Bible, like, hey, before Genesis, or maybe between Genesis 1 1 and 1 2, that's called the gap theory. Or maybe each day of creation was a long period of time, that's called the day age theory. These different theories try to add time to the Bible. Here's the problem every single one of them allows God to be the creator of death and suffering, God to be the one who started all these animals eating each other. Uh, you know, the, the natural cycle of things, the circle of life. You may want to edit that out. Um, the, the circle of life is like, hey, all these things that were, you know, the lion eating the zebra, but the zebra eating the grass. And the, that whole circle, God created it that way and called it very good. And I would say no. In Scripture, we read that all the animals were vegetarian. In the end, God prophesies that one day the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And he says, that's going to be what, it, what it's like in the future. It's going to be just like it was in the past. You cannot hold to any sort of, I'll call it a compromised, an old earth view and accept the future is going to be like the past. And that's what scripture teaches us. So you can't be consistent with scripture when you bring in the idea of death and suffering, even in the animal world before Adam and Eve sinned. Otherwise, that's the same thing you get to look forward to in the future when Christ returns and rules and reigns.
0: We're called as Christians, as the general call, not just for those going into ministry, not just for the pastors behind the pulpit, but for everyone to know God. And do you really want to limit your knowledge of him by limiting what you study in the word? You know, we're called in Scripture um, from Paul to rightly divide the Word of God. We're told to be ones who can study the Scriptures, kind of like the, people, the Bereans in Acts 17, to divide the Word of God into testing its Scripture. Genesis is in the Bible for a reason, everyone. Just like Romans is in the Bible, just like Matthew is in the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by God. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. One of the, one of the ways we learn these good works that God prepared beforehand is answered in, Gen- in 2 Timothy in the Bible. And Genesis is in the Bible, everyone. I really want you to study the word, to see what it has to say, and to come to the same conclusions that Jesus came to and and to the apostles and those who follow him. So study the word, read the word, live the word. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today. I had such a good time. I learned so much. I really think this is beneficial, and and it was profitable, and I really hope the listeners uh, view it the same way. Um, Where can people check out your stuff? Where can they find more material of you?
1: Well, again, Ethan, it is my privilege, and I really am excited about the future of Christianity with young men like you that have a mind to learn who Christ is and present him to the world. So uh, to all of you out there that are listening, uh, man— uh, i'm i'm so thrilled that you're getting to learn through ethan's life and what he's doing uh, for you guys so uh, uh, send him a check uh, our ministry our ministry is called creation today uh, we think creation is relevant